We're in chapter 20. And um, last week we're kind of wrestling through, and I want to finish doing that, a little bit of what it means for, for Satan to be chained, all right? And, and that's kind of how this begins with this idea that, you know, John sees this angel coming down, has this key in his hand and chains, right? And um, it says he takes the devil, Satan, binds him, puts him into the pit for a thousand years. And one of the things we were looking at last week as we gathered together is this idea of a thousand years is that the, the trinity of tens, okay? So when you're looking at numerology and revelation, always think of it as it's symbolic. It's meant to speak to something uh, that's real, that's true, but in a symbolic way. So if you, if you came up to me and said, hey, Pastor, how, how long is, the, is it going to be till Jesus returns? Well, our answer we, we know is we don't know. We don't know when he's going to come. Now, I could say it differently to you. I could say Jesus is going to return on the exact perfect day that he, he already has planned, right? So I don't know it. You don't know it. But, but God has said in the, in, in the perfectness of my plan, this is the day that I will return, all right? So if I wanted to express that numerologically, how would I do that? I would take the number that represents God's perfection. That number is 10, okay? And I would say, well, if you take a trinity of 10s, that would represent that period of time that we're living in that will be completed with his return, okay? So when people talk about the millennium, and so when is the millennium? What I like to say is we are in the millennium. And people are like, well, wait a minute. This, this is a thousand years. I'm like, right. And every single number, every single number in the entire book of Revelation is what? Is symbolic. And so what is a thousand? It is a trinity of tens. And so what it represents is during this period of time that we're living in right now, Satan is bound and chained. Now, last week we started into what does that mean? Because most of us would say, well, it sure doesn't look like it. I mean, if you're, you, are you sure about that? Because every time I turn on my television, it does not look like Satan is bound and chained. Well, the answer is, yes, he is. All right? His, his power to do what he does is limited by the authority of Jesus Christ. Okay? So we started into some things that, that it doesn't mean kind of on the, on the negative side of it. And we said, well, it, it, do, it doesn't mean that he can't, can't come after us and seek out the weak because he, he does that, clearly. Uh, Peter, when he describes Satan, says he's a hunter who's looking for those weak spots in our life. Uh, so, so are demons, fallen angels. They know how to hunt well. Secondly, we said it doesn't mean that he can't test us. All right, uh, we're kind of stepping into this series this month. We'll talk about testing. And, uh, you know, there are times when God allows Satan to test us. There are times when God directly tests us. Uh, but when he's, when he's allowing Satan to test us, typically Satan has said, I want permission to do that. He, in other words, he's under the authority of Jesus Christ. I hate to think of that. I really do. But it, because it's, it's kind of strange in my mind to think about a day when, you know, Satan is saying, uh, I would like per your permission to test Rod. I'm going to put him to the test, you know. Or I'd like your, your permission, I'm going to test Hank. 
And we were like, okay, God, no. Just tell them absolutely not. Well, God would say no. I mean, he would say no if, if he chose to. He could say, no, I'm boundarying that, and you're, you don't have that permission. Or he could say, I'm going to utilize the testing that will now take place in my loved one's life for their good. I'll bring good out of it. Now, Satan means harm, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them to the test and separate this person from you. God says, no, I, you're always under my authority. So always know that, you know, Satan can, can under the authority of Jesus Christ, put us under tests and, and does. Um, and so part, part of what we'll deal with in this message series, uh, and I want to get into it today, is how do, how, how do I or do I even need to distinguish? Is this testing from Satan? Is this testing from God? Um, because it comes from both sources. But one of those is, is Satan's ability to test us. Third thing we got into a little bit last week is it, it doesn't mean that he can't oppress or possess. Okay? Um, and the two are, are really different. Oppression is really what we looked at last week, kind of described in Acts chapter 5. We looked at that scene with Ananias and Sapphira, right? And uh, here's this couple. And they are seeking to stand on their faith. Okay, and I think that's significant. Uh, this is that period in history where um, the, the early Christians are taking their possessions, they're selling them, they're bringing their dollars, and they're saying, you know what, Jesus Christ has changed the whole way that I look at life. I, I, want, to, I want to know that I, I am going to trust God for my provisions. I, I also want to, to live in a way that I provide for others. And so they were doing that. Ananias and Sapphira, they step up. They've got property that they're going to sell. Okay. Um, when, when does Satan most like to test us? Well, when you step up to the plate and, you're, and in faith you say, this, I'm going to do this. You know, um, C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters does a great job you know, through, through his, his um, you know, metaphor of saying, in essence, Satan and demons can watch you, and as long as your Christianity is just kind of going through the motions, blah, 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 there's more of a tendency to do what? I just stand back and wait. Because guess what? I don't, I don't really need... When you, when you have these, these periods in your life of just conviction, now I'm, I don't mean I'm just going to go to church. I'm gonna, I really want to live this thing. And... Um, you know, I'll, use, I'll just use one example of this. Um, you know, this, this kid came up to me uh, with a, a book he had just finished reading called Crazy Love. Okay. Now, on one hand, I think the book, the book tends to be a little bit on the law side of the coin. Um, but it's written by a guy, a, guy, a pastor, um, who has really stirred up the waters in the Christian church to say the kind of love that Jesus has for you is crazy. And the kind of love that he, he wants us to have for him is crazy. And it's not just going through emotions. It's about living out this thing called faith. And so uh, he had just finished reading this book, and I'll tell you what, it stirred him up a lot. Because he told me, he says, you know what? 
I've gone to church, I've sat in sermons, blah, 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 you know, and um, all of a sudden I start reading this book and I'm thinking to myself, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it scared him. He was like, I think I've just been going through motions. And uh, there came this, this, this moment where he says, I'm literally going to bow down on my knees and I'm going to say, God, I don't know how to do this. I really don't. But I'm going to start taking the things in your word seriously. I'm going to start trying to live them. And, um, and I said to him, you know, what God's doing in you right now is he's taking you to a place where you're going to discover a word that will change the way you look at everything. Your relationships with girls, it's, it's going to change. How you perceive what marriage is going to be, that'll change. How you perceive what you should be doing with your life, that's going to change. I said, if you start giving yourself to this stuff, here's the other thing that's going to change, is you're going to come under attack. I don't, I don't have any question about that. Because demons are very happy just watching you saying, go through the motions all you want. It's when this word becomes real to you that they're like, now let's come after this person. Okay? So what do they do? We know they tempt. Yeah, that's, that's ongoing. But this second word that's up here is they oppress. Okay? And the best way to describe oppression is kind of like a, a full court press. Uh, on the part of a, of a demon in a person's life where you literally, you, you may literally even sense the presence of, of demonic activity in your life. You, you may say, stuff is messed up in my life right now. I, I, I've not gone through, I don't, I've never felt the way that I feel. I, I feel like I am being pushed to the edge. Do you really believe this? Hard things happen. That cause you to say, well, now wait a minute. Is, there, is this Bible stuff real? Is God really there? And so that's, all of that is what oppression means. And you think, take an Ananias and Sapphira, what's happening in their life is they've gone from you know, being Jews and going through motions at the temple, make the sacrifice, blah, 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 to, wait a minute, we're going to follow this Jesus Christ to this moment where they literally sit down together as a husband and wife and say, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to sell this property and we're going to give this, th these dollars away. And, and so as they, as they do that, they come under oppression, strong oppression, to the point that they decide, you know what, let's sell the property, but now let's, let's hold some of it back for ourselves and put the rest at the apostles' feet and tell the apostles, that's the whole thing. And so what's so interesting to me is that when they come to give the money to the apostles, uh, under inspiration, understand that, the apostles able to say, Satan's been at work in your life. He knows that he sees it. And... Um, it ends up, of course, leading to their, their death at the hand of God. A really a, 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 change, a, a life change moment in the body of Jesus in that early period in Acts. Okay? So what I know is there, there can be times in, in any of our lives where hard court press comes and you're pushed to really step back away 
from the convictions that the Holy Spirit is working in you. And um, that can look like a, a, you know, a million different things, but the reality of it is Satan, under the permission of God, can do that, can push you to those places where you are, you are oppressed. Okay. What's the difference between that and possession? Okay. Well, under oppression, the Spirit of God is, is within you, right? And under oppression, uh, you're, who you are you, at your core, your personality, r remains intact. Possession is what we see in the Bible occurring in the lives of people where the Holy Spirit of God is not present inside of the person and where a demon literally does come and replaces the personality of the individual and then from there goes on to, to try to cause that person to harm themselves and to harm other people around them while separating them spiritually at the soul level from Jesus Christ. Okay. So one of the things that uh, I like to ask, you know, Christians, and you don't have to answer this question today, but put it in the back of your mind: Have you ever, have you ever dealt with possession? Have you ever had an experience with that in your life? Um, you know, when people talk to me one on one and and can do that and not feel like somebody's going to call you crazy, right? I've had some good conversations with people who would say, yeah, I think, I've, I think I've seen that in my days. I know I have. Um, and um, if, if you're a pastor, you're, you're going to encounter that somewhere in the course of your, your ministry. Um, for me, probably one of the, one of the uh, telltale signs uh, of, of possession, you know, I'll just describe it this way. Young kid sitting in my confirmation class. Did not mind reading the Bible. Get out the Bible, they read the Bible. Didn't have a lot of interest in, you know, in, in the, 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 the class itself, but yeah, I can I'll read the Bible, I don't care. Whatever. Um, not participating, not putting himself into it at all. And so I make a phone call to the parents. I'm like, well. I said, I, I want to talk to your son. I'm not sure he really wants to be in this, this thing called confirmation. And um, I just want to kind of let you know that I'm going to have this more serious conversation with him and get any input that you have for me. So the mom and dad, that's what they said. They said, well, we don't care. Go ahead and talk to our son and whatever he decides, that's fine with us. We let our kid make his own decisions. Okay. Sit down with the boy. I'm like, do you really want to be in this thing? No. Well, why are you in it? My mom and dad made me come. I'm like, well, they told me they don't really care. Okay, then I want out. You're out. So he stepped out of that, and um, I was just getting to know the family and didn't have a lot of opportunity to get to know them until... The phone rang, and now mom and dad were asking for some help. Our son has done something horrible. Like, what did your son do? Well, he got a baseball bat. And um, he came through our garage and smashed out the car windshields. 
Then he came into our house and he smashed all the mirrors and smashed all the, the um, lamps and we locked ourselves in our room and, and tried to hide from him and he was smashing on our door and finally we called the police and they came and got him. I said, okay. I said, sound, you know, I, I didn't say this to him. I said, it sounds like you let him make his own decisions. And I don't think he made it, I don't think he made a good one, right? So I go to jail now to visit with this young man. I said, well, you put your, your brother and you put your parents in a place where they're scared. I don't care. I said, you don't care? He says, no, not at all. And uh, then he goes on to tell me, he says, I, I've been doing it for a long time. So what do you mean? He says, well, my brother has cocaine and um, I go into my brother's room and I'll take his cocaine and steal it and replace what I've stole with rat poison in the cocaine. And I'm like, so if your brother sniffs that up inside of himself, he's sniffing poison into his body and it, you'll kill him. I don't care. No care. So here's this young man who I'm saying, well, it sounds to me like you're, you're really absent any sense of caring about anyone. That's right. And um, to make a long story short, in the time that I got to try to, to get to know this young man, it very, becomes very clear to me he is, not, he is not in control of who he is and would, in fact, love to harm as many people as he possibly could, um, including himself. And so, so in that kind of a situation, you know, if you're trying to bring scripture and you're trying to bring prayer into that person's life, in his case, he just would, I don't, I don't care. I'm not, gonna, I'm not listening to you. I, I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say. I'm apart from you, right? That's how much in the grips of possession he was in, okay? So... What I always tell people is, if, you're, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God lives inside of you, 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 you cannot be possessed by a, a demon. It, you can't have the Holy Spirit live in the same house as a demon. Okay? If you're outside of faith, um, it doesn't matter if you go to church or, or have, carry a Bible around. That doesn't matter at all to a demon. You, you can be possessed. And possession, as you look at it in the New Testament, you know, shows very consistent signs of that personality replaced and inside of an individual now is, 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 is literally a demon or demons that are causing that person first and foremost spiritually to separate from, from God and you're not, the word's not coming into you as well as then physically to hurt themselves, the container that the demon is in, as well as to hurt other people around them. Okay, very consistent as you go through the New Testament and look at signs of of possession. Okay, so when you're reading about this binding, you know, early in chapter 20, and this angel comes and you have the binding for a thousand years, what we're talking about is until Jesus Christ returns again, Satan has limited abilities to do what he does in the lives of, of Christians, as well as even in the lives of, of, of non-Christians, all the way up until that moment begins that characterizes what we call the half a time, 
where demons are released and have, have a greater power and greater authority, as does Satan, to literally now physically take lives. Even under possession, a demon can't kill you, but a demon can cause you to try to kill yourself. Does that make sense? It can't kill you, but it can cause you to try to kill yourself or cause you try to cause you to kill yourself. All right, but it can't kill you. In that half a time period, a demon is now permission to actually take a life. Okay, so these are things that that when you're reading about the binding, you have to say it doesn't mean that Satan is not active in our lives because he is. Okay, here's what it does mean. Okay, the first thing that it means is often what is happening is is Satan. Satan, I don't believe receives the permission of God to come against or test many people at all. Demons do. Satan does not. Okay? So when you look at the New Testament, there's, a, there's, there's not that many times, even Old Testament, when Satan himself is permissioned, you may test this person. Demons are. So quite often, we would say Satan is, is limited to, bound by the authority of Jesus Christ, to working immediately in people. In other words, through demons in people's lives. Okay? Great example of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, right? We'll look at this, this chapter a little bit later in our, our current series, but you know where, where Paul is talking about this thorn in his side. He uses the specific language, a messenger of Satan. A messenger of Satan. Well, um, the term messenger is the word that we use for angel, angelos, right? So an angelos is a angel, a fallen angel of Satan, a demon, is, is, is behind this bringing of a thorn in the side. Is it a test? Yes. Is it happen, happening under the authority of God? Yes. But Satan himself is now, in Paul's case, having to work immediately, not immediately. All right. So the binding means that 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 more often than not, Satan himself is is put in check while demons are are allowed to carry out the testing. Okay. Second thing is it, we do know that uh, the the carrying out of the work of the church, uh, the spreading of the gospel, cannot be prevented by Satan, as much as he will try to do that. Okay. You look at history, and there's large blocks of time, including a period of time that we're living in right now, where, where Satan, in control of the beasts, right, the political beast and the economic beast, in other words, in, in charge of that realm that operates culture, shuts down the spread of the gospel temporarily. Okay. So if I said to you today, Take a globe and pick out places around the world where Christianity seems silent. Okay, so you might go, okay, shh, spin it right there. Um, right here in, in this, this place called Iran. It seems pretty silent. Okay, and you would be right. There's not a lot of Christianity going on in Iran. Uh, for a long period of time, zero Christian churches in Iran. Guess what? One just popped up under the allowance of the government. What will happen through that? Okay. Um, China, for years we'd say, China? 
Um, no church, no Bibles. And so what happens is Christianity gets pushed underground and all of a sudden it begins to explode. North Korea, we could put our finger on that and say, nope, not Christianity there. But what's happening is you're able to identify at the surface level the fact that governments and agencies can restrict or even outlaw altogether Christianity. Can the gospel be stopped? No, it can't be. Why? Because Satan does not have that authority to stop it. Right? So it's always ongoing. So it does mean that you can't prevent the spread of the gospel. In fact, um, you remember these words that, that Jesus speaks to his um, uh, apostles when he's sending them out into the world. What does he say about the, the confession of, of Peter? You know, you've made this confession of me that I am the Christ. And as you take that confession out into the world, not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against that confession, right? It's one of my favorite, by the way, I have to just share this with you. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Um, when we were living in Lincoln, that scripture became very real for me. We had, uh, you know, our church <clears throat> was on this, this fairly busy street, 84th Street. And the city decided to do two different work projects um, at the same time. One on each side of the church. Meaning they were effectively shutting down the streets to both sides of the, sides of the church and school. Okay, So I, I, I did some really kind of crazy things. I said, you know, let's call the, like a newscaster and see if they'd want to have us maybe film us walking little kids to school across the street while there's bulldozers and all going. And, and just we'd be like, is this good? <laughs> but I actually sent the city a, uh, a letter. And uh, they, they put their little, you know, gates up, if you will. And so I wrote them a letter and told them, you know, you're shutting down all the traffic on both sides of our church, but the gates of hell will not prevail against us. <laughs> <clears throat> they liked it so much they actually put that letter up in the city office and uh, we ended up um, it was I mean it was a crazy time we ended up bussing people in just to get them close enough to walk them into the into the church and I remember thinking during that time man this is like hell coming against against the church and so that became one of my favorite verses I'm like no the gates of hell cannot cannot prevail against us okay so you have, this, you have this scene, and I want you just to kind of stay clear on these are the things that, that uh, this binding does represent and, and, and does not represent. And go to the very end of it now. It says, <clears throat> it says at the very end of, of, of verse number three, when these thousand years are, are ended, or we might say it like this, at the very end part of the thousand years, Okay. Then after that, he will be released for a little while. And again, that just goes back to consistently this, this, this way that Revelation measures time as, as being epically controlled by God. Um, the Greek word ionios represents those epochs of time. And while we as human beings say, well, we've got the medieval time and we've got the enlightenment and so forth, on God's clock, there's a time and a time and a half a time. And it's during that last period of time that Satan is released for this little, 
little while. So the, the best way to translate that is until the thousand years are ending. It's a participle there. Uh, after that, he is released for a little while. All right, let's go to verse 4. Now, now John sees this. He's like, okay, you've got Satan bound. What's happening in heaven? He says, well, then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Okay? So during this thousand-year period of time, you're looking up into heaven, and you're seeing, again, kind of think symbolic, you're seeing thrones, and those seated upon them who have now power to, to judge. Okay? So at one level, we could say those thrones represent the Trinity itself, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Who is given judgment? God is given judgment over this time. Okay? Um, at another level, we could say, well, um, there's, a, there's a sense in which those who have gone before us that are in heaven right now uh, sit in a position where they're able to rightly judge what, what is going on, right? Because they're, they're no longer here on earth turning on the news saying what's happening. They're in the presence of God and know God, the judge, is fully in control. Okay? Now look at, this gets a little bit confusing, so kind of follow this. He says, I also saw the souls of those beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, those who had not worshipped the beast in its image had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. Okay? I always, I always think about this, that throughout the Revelation, um, in particular, lifted up under the grace of God are those people who right now, uh, and for, for all of history, have been martyred for, died for their faith. They have a special place in heaven. Uh, we've seen them several times throughout the book, underneath the altar of God, crying out, God, when will you avenge our blood? Well, here they are. Again, they are under that, that sense of, of uh, being uh, with, with Christ today in heaven. Okay? And what are they doing? Here's where it gets a little tricky. Read these words with me. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Kind of keep that in mind. We're talking about a first, and a, if there's a first, there's going to be a second resurrection. First resurrection, a second resurrection. Okay? Being contrasted with a first death and a second death. Notice this. Over such, the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay? Most of I, what I would say, most of what is, is the confusion of eschatology in the church world today grows out of these verses. Most of it. Okay? So, uh, when you talk about um, different interpretations of the revelation and different interpretations of what the end 
of the world will look like. Most of the differences come out of here. You will get some versions of, of, of end time or eschatological theology that say, hey, at the end of time, what this is talking about is you're going to get this rapture and then you're going to get a resurrection and that'll be the first resurrection and those people that get, get resurrected, they get thrones here on the world and they're reigning with God here on earth. Like, okay. Uh, you get some that say, oh, no, no, this is, you're going to get a first resurrection after the church establishes the kingdom of God on earth, and then they're going to reign for God with God for a thousand years, and the, the, and the end is going to come. Okay? Um, I think a lot of it just gets confused because you're, you're not reading the Revelation in the way that it's symbolically intended to be read. Um, here, here's, what, here's what's being referenced, all right? The they here is referring back to the people that have already just been described to you. Okay? Who are they? They're the martyrs who've died for their faith. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Okay? Question for you. Have you gone through it? Have you gone through the first resurrection? Yes, you have. Okay. Because what does resurrection mean? The Greek word is what? On histeme. Okay, to bring to bring to life. Cause to stand up again. Okay. When you were born, Ephesians chapter two, you guys are Lutheran, so you'll remember this. When when you were born, you were described as being what? Born dead. Is that true? Here's what Paul says. He says, uh, we were born dead in our trespasses. You were not alive. When you came to faith, what happened to you? You were raised to life. You were reborn. This is what confused, right? This is what confused Nicodemus when he's standing in front of Jesus and says, what have I got to do to be saved? And Jesus says, you, you, have, to be, you have to be born again. You have to come back to life through word and spirit. And Nicodemus goes, oh, I don't understand that. Well, the first resurrection is, is what happens when you are spiritually brought from death into life. You are resurrected. Okay? The second resurrection is what happens after your body gets planted in the ground and you physically have died and you are what? Now you are spiritually uh, raised up are physically raised back up to life and your spirit rejoins your body. Okay? So when the Bible refers to the two resurrections, it's referring to the fact that all of these people, these, these folks who were killed, martyred for their faith, they what? They experienced the first resurrection. And as people who experienced the first resurrection, while they were alive here on earth, they, now here's what you've got to get, reigned with Christ during this thousand years. Okay? During his whole life, Jesus talks about a kingdom and a king. A king who reigns. Right? Through that king and through his word, you and I are taught what? That you reign with him. You have authority with him. Whose authority do you have? His. This is what allows him to say the gates of hell can't prevail against who? Luke? 
Oh no, the gates of hell could take Luke down. But what does Luke have? I got the gospel of Jesus Christ. To reign with God means simply this, that I say, under this gospel of Jesus Christ, I can say to a demon, in the name of Jesus Christ, step down. Right? Um, we can say to those things that come against us, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, I stand under his authority. Okay? So you and I, in a sense, have, have right now in our lives today a sense in which you reign with God here on earth. When you die and you're in heaven, he, he always is the one who is fully, he's the king, right? But you are under his reign and reigning with him. And so we sing it at Easter time that he will reign forever and ever. You will reign with him forever and ever. And so what he's talking about is this group of people who, who have gone through the first resurrection, martyred saints, are reigning with God today in heaven. Saint, just like you are today on earth, through his word and his promises, reigning until that thousand years is completed. And so he's able to say, blessed and holy are the one who shares in the first resurrection. Because over such, the second death, what's that? Okay, physical death is our first death. All of us will go through that. Second death is what? Hell. The second death is when you, outside of faith, are, are sentenced by the judge, by the king, to hell. All right? So guess what you won't go through? You won't go through the second death. It has no power and no authority over you. It's Again, it's not different than what Jesus says very plainly. Hell can't prevail against you. You're standing underneath the authority of Jesus Christ. And so... Um, what he's trying to say is, uh, you and I will be priests of God, priests of God and priests of Christ, and reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, so don't turn it into something strange and odd where we're sitting here on earth reigning over people that don't believe for a thousand years. No. Um, it's simply saying that today, right now, you are priests of God. Okay, a priest is one who administers the things of God during this period of time that we're alive. We'll come, we'll go, but until the trumpet blows, we are priests along with him. So this is why uh, when you look at, look at a book like the book of Hebrews, it describes us as what? A kingdom of priests who have today uh, the ability to take the things of God and bring them into uh, the lives of others. So the whole picture that's being given here is one of what? The authority of, of Jesus Christ. It starts with that. We lock up Satan. We put him under the authority of God. We're able to look in heaven. Here we see people that have died and gone before us. What has no authority over them? Hell has no authority over them. Okay? What about those of us who are alive today? Same thing is true. Once you've gone through the first resurrection, which is being brought to life, spiritually, through conversion of the soul, you reign with God until you die. That reign doesn't mean you're a king. It means you come under the king. But you have the authority of the king. And particularly in matters where Satan seeks to come against you. 
I'll close this way today. Remember that, especially when you're undergoing tests. Especially when you're undergoing tests. That Satan does not have dominion. The Holy Spirit of God has dominion. Um, and so stand under his dominion. And to do that is to reign with him. Okay? All right, let's close there. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, as we... Uh...